book of Philemon, and we will be reading verses 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then over to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And thank you, you may be seated. Philemon. A study in forgiveness. As I have entitled it, forgiveness from the heart. From a worldly perspective, slavery, and before we actually go that far, I want to share with you why I believe that it is important for us to go the direction that we are with Psalm 1 first before we delve into Philemon. The answer is, I believe, simply, you will never understand the book of Philemon. You will never understand the glory, I believe, of this little chapter, this single chapter, about 25 verses, and the joy of forgiveness until you and I know what we have been forgiven of. This is the reason for the study in Philemon. And this is the reason for why we're looking, going to look at both this passage and Psalm 1 this morning. From a worldly perspective, slavery is where, from one quote, slavery is where people are treated as property to be bought and sold and forced to work. Slaves can be held against their will from the time of their capture, their purchase, or their birth and deprived of the right to leave, to refuse to work, or to demand compensation. Historically, slavery has been recognized by many societies throughout all of human history. More recently, though, it has been outlawed in many societies but continues through the practice of debt bondage, indentured servitude, domestic servants kept in captivity, certain adoptions in which children are forced to work as slaves, child soldiers, and forced marriage. Slavery is actually illegal in every country in the world, and yet today there are an estimated 27 million slaves that exist worldwide. Some are hopeful but not realistic that slavery can be eradicated by 2042. This gives you an idea where the majority of those slaves are. Look at India. 
almost 20 million slaves in India alone today. Slavery predates written records and has existed in just about every culture. Most of these people are debt slaves, largely in South Asia and Southeast Asia, and they are under debt bondage incurred by lenders sometimes for generations. Human trafficking is used to force women and children into sex industries. For example, in some places, like in Southeast Asia and in India, for example, if you incur a debt, you and your children and your grandchildren will pay off that debt for the entirety of their lives. Many agencies have an agenda to be able to eradicate slavery, but they are failing miserably because their approach to this social ill comes from a great misunderstanding of Scripture. You see, the greater problem of slavery is not based on those who are chained to a bed or to a wall, and that is horrible in and of itself. And this stench that permeates the history of mankind, the cries of those who are entrapped, though, do not tell the full story. You see, slavery is not really about poor working or poor living conditions. The worst kind of slavery comes when people are enslaved under the bondage of sin. There is nothing that they can do to relieve their stress. The UN cannot provide any assistance, nor can any of the myriad of organizations that exist that seek to free slaves. Our new study contains the account of at least three main characters, the Apostle Paul, Philemon, and a slave by the name of Onesimus. The paths of these people will intersect in ways that could have only been ordained by God. And the end result would be a greater freedom than all the money in the world could buy. And further, the slave would become the master and the master would become the slave. But before we consider the details of this account in Philemon, it would be profitable for us to have an understanding of the character of the men who are in the account of this book. You see, to understand the slavery that enslaves mankind today, we need to consider two types of people, and this takes us back to Psalm 1. One is blessed, happy, willing, Slave, no matter what, they do not want freedom. This is a true believer. This is the picture of a true believer. But the other is cursed, under bondage, and while still a willing slave to sin, they need but do not want freedom. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, paints a very painful picture of a person who is found under damning slavery. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. This, this explains every person who has ever lived or who will ever live in the world today. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. In the world that we live in today, there are people who want you to build your self-esteem, to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And yet the scripture says that those who come to Christ are given their worth because of Jesus Christ. The word of God is very clear that this type of bondage cannot be broken apart from apart or broken apart from saving faith in Christ Jesus. 
You see, if you're here this morning and you are an unbeliever, it is an indentured servitude. Or even if you are a believer, I want you to understand that this servitude that you owed to God, you could never pay off. Consider this illustration. One sin per day. Now, I don't think there would be any doubt that any, every one of us would say that we all sin. I want to make sure that we understand what sin is. Sin is simply breaking the holiness of God. God is the standard, not me, not you, not your husband, not your wife, not your children or your grandchildren or your grandparents or your parents. It's not Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin. The, the standard is God. Perfection in every way. The holiness of God. So if we could all agree that we sin at least one time a day in which we do not, for example, you may think that taking the name of the Lord in vain is one of the Ten Commandments, and it is, but it is far more than that because taking the name of God in vain could not is not just a matter of using curse words, it's also a matter of how we live our life. Do we live our life apart from God? The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came on the scene, he upset the religious apple cart because they thought that they were fulfilling everything under the guise of the law. They would say, well, I have never murdered anybody, but Jesus said, if you have even hated somebody, it is the same as if you have murdered them. The religious people said, well, I've never committed adultery. And yet the scripture says Jesus reminded them that even if you have looked with lust in your heart, it is the same as having committed adultery. So this is the picture. We commit one sin a day. This amounts to 365 sins per year. And if you lived on average to be 70 years of age, you would have committed 25,550 sins. You see, that one little white lie seems a whole lot bigger now, doesn't it? Do you realize, and most people even in churches today do not realize that even if you had only committed one sin, it would be enough to have separated you from God. In fact, your very nature separates you and I from God. And every sin that we commit is a death sentence. The problem is that you and I will never be able to atone for that. Even if you could go to hell or to a made-up place called purgatory and, and you could atone for those sins in some way, every second that you are there, you will curse the name of God. You will continue to add to your sin. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross so that we might have eternal life. And he simply from the cross says, whosoever will may come and drink the water of life freely. That's the wonder of the gospel message. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have so much money in the bank. You don't have to do anything. You simply believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Men loudly proclaim that man has a free will, but the Bible concludes that our will is enslaved to our master. And your master this morning is either the Lord Jesus Christ or your master is the evil one himself. Our will cannot run after God, nor does it have any desire to do so. We've already looked at this in Romans chapter 3. And that means in its simplest form, the will of man gladly obeys and follows the one 
who is its master. If you struggle with sin this morning with no repentance, this means that your master is the evil one. Only with repentance and confession of sin and a turning to God can you and I know the joy that comes from no longer being bound in sin. That doesn't mean that we won't stop sinning. It means that our desires will be for God, for Christ and Him alone as we heard in that beautiful hymn. You will then be able to please God because He is your master. So as we ponder this person who is enslaved to God versus the person who is enslaved to the world and to their own passions, consider what the psalmist says here as he vividly defines the fate of those who are enslaved to sin and to those who are willing slaves to God. Go with me back to Psalm 1. With the promise of Scripture this morning, I believe that this is available to every individual who comes to God on God's terms. But let us shun the alternative of reality or the alternative of slavery to sin which will result only in wretched misery, eternal misery, and pursue after godliness for it is the only type of slavery that will ever bring blessed happiness. Number one, the blessed man is freed, verse 1 and verse 2. There is a path of destruction that is before every individual. Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 7 that broad is the road which people find themselves on which leads to destruction. You don't have to do anything to find that broad road. It is already there. You and I are born on it. But there is a narrow road, a narrow road that you must come to Jesus Christ individually. Your parents cannot come on your behalf, young people. You cannot come on the part of your spouse. You have to come to Jesus Christ His way, individually. Coming and the Holy Spirit grants repentance and we come to the point where we confess our sin and we acknowledge what Jesus and who Jesus Christ is, that He is the Lord of glory. What is this path of destruction in verse 1? Three points, very simply. Number one, walking in the counsel of the ungodly. So the blessed man is freed, number one, from the path of destruction. The word walk here means to lead away and figuratively refers to manner of life. In other words, do not follow or be led away in your manner of life by the counsel of the ungodly. Now, sometimes this is hard for us to fathom because we don't think we're walking a wicked road. After all, we're, we're not following in the steps of Stalin or Mussolini or Hitler or whoever it may have been. But the path of destruction, walking in the counsel of the ungodly, may simply be endorsing or supporting the sin that is found in the world. Romans chapter 1. You see, the Bible says that judgment will come not just on those who practice these sins, but those who endorse these sins as well. So the blessed man is freed from walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And the progression that is here is if you begin walking in the wrong path, you will soon stand like Lot did in the path of sinners. 
And standing in the path of sinners allows you to observe it to a greater degree. To Maybe to be able to not say, well, or to say, well, I'm not actually partaking in the sin, but I have no problem endorsing that sin. After all, truth, as we looked at in the morning lesson in the Sunday school hour, truth to many people is subjective. Morality is relative. Whatever you want it to be is what you can be. So now we've got 87 different genders. Now we've got marriage being defined as something other than one man, one woman for life. And it doesn't matter if every nation and every government in the world supports that which is against God. They will always be in the minority. Now, it's not that we hate these individuals or those who practice alternate lifestyles or sinful abomination lifestyles that are, that are going on in the world today. We know that God saves sinners, of which I was one. As the Apostle Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. This, again, is the wonder, the joy that comes from understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when God saves us, he takes us out of that old sin He sets our feet on a solid rock and every desire that we have begins to change to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You see, the problem is that sometimes even in our Christian walk, there are times that we don't want to be conformed to His image. We want Him to be conformed to ours. Thirdly, the blessed man is freed not just from the path of destruction by walking in the counsel of the ungodly or, or standing in the way or the path of sinners, but it keeps him and he is freed from having to sit in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 64 verse 2, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked from the throng of evildoers. If you have any questions whatsoever in regards to what the world has on offer, simply turn on the TV. Go to Facebook. Pick up the newspaper, walk down the street, and you will be confronted with every possible vice that you can find. And yet it's easy if we're not careful, we begin to become jaded, we get calloused to the sin that is around us. If I were to go back, or we had the ability to be able to go back, Ten years ago, we didn't laugh at the things that are being laughed at today. If we were to go back to your childhood and mine, the things that are being talked about openly now as being acceptable, you and I would be absolutely aghast. Our parents would do everything they could to keep us from hearing that debauchery. Now it's not only commonplaces, but they're actually teaching it in our school systems. The blessed man is freed not just from the path of destruction, but secondly, to follow the path of instruction. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. What is the law of God? It is the instruction that he gives to us in his word. The Bible says that his commandments are not grievous. This is what we are to follow day by day, not just on a Sunday morning, every day. The law of God does not bring us to salvation. It shows us how far we are separated from him apart from Jesus Christ. But it does bring true joy when we delight in following his commands. 
Some think that we obey the law in order to be able to have peace, but the Bible says that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And because of that peace, we now choose to obey what He sets forth in His Word. We choose to be captive to the law of Christ. This means that we delight in his law. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. How do we know if his law is within our heart if we never bother to memorize it? How do we know whether his law is in our heart if we're not willing to read it to see what he has to say to us? To delight in his law. I've used a similar illustration, but when my wife and I were were first dating and courting, we were living in England. She was stationed at one base and I worked at another base about four hours away. And She did a lot more writing of love letters to me than I did to her. But she would call me up and she would say, did you get my letter? Well, after I wrestled it out of my dad's hands, yeah, I got the letter. (laughs) Now, can you imagine that conversation? She said, well, did you read it? I sent it like two weeks ago. Well, you know what? I got it and I smelled the outside of the envelope. Nice perfume. Well, have you read it? Well, no, no. I'll get to it though. How long do you think that relationship would have lasted? Not very long at all. You know what I did? The very first day alone, I probably read every letter that I got from her seven, eight, nine, ten times. Some parts I highlighted and underlined because I thought, oh, that's really sweet. Can't believe somebody thinks of me like that. What are you laughing at, Gabe? (laughs) Yeah, with hair mark. But you know what I found? I delighted in her in the words that she wrote to me because I delighted in her. And because she delighted in me enough to be willing to take the time to write me a letter. For you young people, that was something called paper and pen before email. But you see, it's not just delighting in the Word of God, it's also meditating in it, pondering it. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you think to yourself, man, what am I going to do tomorrow? What's going to happen this next week? What's going to happen on my trip? What's going to happen at work? What about the struggles that I'm facing and, and whether it's mental or physical or spiritual or, or emotional or whatever it may be, you know, the answer is found right here in God's Word. Delighting and meditating in God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15 says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You want to know the true, one of the true tests of, of not just character, but a true test of where you're at in the Lord Jesus Christ? Hold yourself up and go up to somebody and say, do you see more of Jesus Christ in me today than you did last year? Go talk to your husband or your wife or your children. Do you see more of Jesus Christ in me today than was evident Six months ago? Six years ago? You see, the only way that this comes about is is a continuous meditation. Psalm 119.11 I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Again, here we are. This This is what we're talking about in regards to the holiness of God following His path. 
A consistent meditation. Psalm 119 continues in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. The work of a pastor, the work of a biblical pastor or a shepherd is not to get people to be afraid of arising to the level of the knowledge that the pastor has of the scriptures. It's to get you to learn to love God's word so much that you also excel in various areas of scripture. That's the work of a pastor. But to do that, we must be consistent and there also must be a collective meditation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Do you know that the Psalms were actually written as songs that were sung when going to and from worship? You say, well, I don't know them. Make up your own tune. Nobody's going to hear you anyway but the dog or the cat. Sing whatever you want. Just sing praises to God from His Word. We went through a book here recently. I guess it's actually been about a year and a half ago now. And we went through a book entitled Praying Through the Psalms by Don Whitney. It's a book that I highly recommend. But giving praise, adoration, learning to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Psalms. Secondly, we find the benefits of the master's slave. First of all, he is like a well-watered tree. Anybody recognize what kind of tree that is? Nope. I'm sorry? Redwood. A well-watered tree soaks up water at the river's edge. This defines a tree not just in a desert environment, but a, but a tree that flourishes like a willow or a leafy oak that has its roots driven deep into the earth. Does anybody know how much water it takes to be able to water just one of these trees that can stand as much as 300 to 350 feet tall? I'm sorry? Two tons of water. That's what it takes. Two tons of water per tree, per day. As a believer, you and I should never be content with only getting a little drizzle. When the showers of blessings are waiting for those who come to soak up the water at the river's edge. We should long for more. We should be willing to take up our Bibles, not just on Sundays, but on every day of the week. Reading what God's love letter is to us and saying, Lord, change me to resemble what's found here in your word. It also satisfies the inner thirst. A tree must have water. The barren soul longs to quench the barrenness that is within it. And this can only be done when we are satisfied with what the Lord gives to us in His Word. God is not going to speak to you outside of this Word. If you want to hear Him speak audibly, have somebody read it aloud to you. Or a you version, or whatever it may be, to listen to what God has to say to you and I. Never ceases to amaze me. People that come and say, well, God told me to do this. First of all, does it line up with Scripture? If 
it doesn't line up with scripture, God didn't tell you to do that. Secondly, I want to know if you've read the entire book from cover to cover. Does what you believe, does what you practice actually line up with what his word says? Because God the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to do one thing that he tells the rest of Christianity to obey or to follow. Anybody recognize this? Nobody? I thought somebody might know this one. This was the tree of Tanir, found in the country of Niger, way out in the Sahara Desert. The nearest tree to this one is over a hundred miles away. But this one, one solitary lone tree, was knocked down by a drunk driver in 1973. Hundreds of miles of desert, and they hit one tree. A study in 1938 found that this particular tree had roots that went 120 feet down into the desert to find water. That's pretty deep. You see, without water, the tree would have died. And sadly, people calling themselves Christians are content trying to find life in this foolish, ungodly world. Why would anyone want to go back into the life of a, a slave that is mistreated or abused when a true believer will actually reach towards the water of life? We find that we are also, secondly, to be a planted tree. For the sake of time, we will not go there. I would encourage you to write down John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking and he says, I am the vine dresser. I am the one who takes care of the fruit. I am the one that prunes the tree when necessary. You see, like a fruit-bearing tree, it produces what it's designed for. We lived in California for a while and we had orange trees and what were some of the other ones there, Violet? The, the, the big fruit that you guys like, little tiny seed-like things in it. Pomegranates. There's nothing like getting fresh fruit off a tree, not something that's been stored in a refrigerated train car. But a fruit-bearing tree will produce what it is designed for. An apple tree will produce apples. And a lemon tree will produce lemons. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I want to remind you this morning that if there is no fruit, there is no life. This isn't a, like a smorgasbord. This isn't a buffet where you can pick and choose. The Bible says that if we are a believer, we will exemplify every aspect of the fruit of the, of the, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and self-control. A fruit-bearing tree also prepares to replicate itself. And you and I, if we are true believers this morning, you and I are designed to bring others to know Christ. One of my favorite accounts in the New Testament is Andrew, who brought his brother, Peter, to Jesus Christ. And yet Andrew always plays, played second fiddle. 
But when you find the list of all of the disciples, it's always Peter, not Andrew. Because to Andrew, it was more important to serve where God had placed him than to try to be something that he wasn't called to do or to be. A fruit-bearing tree will prosper no matter what comes against it. Anybody here ever raised roses? Nobody? Roses. Okay. What do you do with a rose bush at the end of the season? I'm sorry? How far do you cut it back? A little snips here and there? If you want a full rose bush, what do you have to do to it? Whack, whack, whack. Take it almost down so there's only about six to seven inches of that rose bush left above ground. As trees must be pruned, so too will believers. And discipline brings us back to a fruit-bearing stage. There, there will be trials, you can guarantee that. But those who are on the rock, Jesus Christ, will never see eternal harm, nor will you and I face condemnation. Our lives may be difficult for a time, but what is that compared to eternity with the precious Lamb? The one who loved us, the one who gave himself for us. God knows that if we are left to our own devices, we would run back to the slave market of sin from which we were redeemed. And fourthly, a leaf-bearing tree. A leaf-bearing tree gives shade from the elements and meditating in God's law shades us from the world and from Satan. Do you remember what 1 John says? We have to deal with the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We must resist the evil one so that he will flee from us. And the only way we can do this is to study and understand the scriptures. It's not to pray a little prayer, God binds Satan. I'm sorry, but that's not theologically biblical. The Bible says that we are to resist him. We are to be transformed, Romans chapter 12, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Not our emotions, not our feelings, because your emotions and mind, your feelings and mind can't be trusted. The heart, Jeremiah says, is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know it. It not only gives shade, but it grows to full strength. Some of the trees that we had when we were in Liberia, West Africa, were 125 to 150 feet tall. Magnificent trees. They're probably second only to like the sequoias and the redwoods. Very, very hard wood. But a stunted tree is a sad picture. Anybody here seen Joshua trees in the desert? They look stunted. They look withered. A lot of times they look dead. How much sadder is the one who is a slave to Christ but still desires to live in bondage to Satan or live as if they were in bondage to Satan? This person may live off a meager diet of fellowship with saints or off a meager diet of an occasional sermon. A leaf-bearing tree gains nourishment daily or it dies. There's a saying that I heard all growing up, seven days without prayer makes one week. 
without time in God's word and without the fellowship of other believers, you also will be weak and ineffective in God's work. That doesn't mean that you're going to be here every single service if we had services seven days a week, but it means that you have more joy and more comfort in your heart and in your spirit when you are fellowshipping with like-minded believers throughout the week. All this person does will prosper. Whatever it produces here, it shall come to maturity is the way this verse is actually rendered. A wonderful promise by God for all who have placed their faith in him alone. All he does shall prosper. What are the benefits quickly of the wicked life? This is found in verse 4 and 5. Number one, there is no, no true joy. No true joy is with the ungodly person. You see, you might say, well, I'm happy. But are you joyful? Happiness comes from circumstances. comes from happenings that are around you. This is the root word that we get this from. The question is, are you filled with a deep joy so that no matter what comes into your life, whether it's good times, bad times, or indifferent times, you can say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, while it's very difficult to be able to share at the funeral of somebody who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a true joy that comes. I, I remember when Brother Tony passed away. It's been almost three years now. And I remember us going to the hospice and there were 16 or 17 of us standing around the bed after he had passed away singing praises to God, giving thanks for the life of Brother Tony. And you know how we can do that? It comes because of the joy of Jesus Christ. The staff, they they couldn't understand it. How how can you be singing praises? How can you be joyful when, when somebody you love is gone? Because we know that Psalm 126, while tears may endure for a while, joy comes in the morning. Another benefit of a wicked life is that this person is like wheat chaff. If you've ever done any kind of uh, wheat harvesting, you'll know that they take the wheat and they throw it up in these big baskets in in many countries like in the Middle East and in Africa where we were, and they would take this up, and what does the wind do with the husks on the outside? Blows it away. So that all you're left with is the grain. But you see, the benefit of a wicked life means that this person is not firmly rooted or grounded. Like rubbish, it will eventually be burned up and it doesn't doesn't have to be this way for any individual. The benefits of a wicked life are that they are driven by whatever ill wind may appear. They are driven by the wind. What drives you today? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? You see, we we don't want to look and consider the fourth benefit of a wicked life, and that is eternal punishment. Eternal punishment that is going to come to every man, woman, and child who has ever lived, who is apart from Jesus Christ. And yet, it's not difficult to come to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ simply says, come and believe. Come and drink of the water of life freely. This is the free call of the gospel message. 
And it doesn't matter. Our, our sister got to go to... How many countries did you get to go to, Sister Rebecca? Four countries. The, the message... Can, can we be reminded what four countries those were again? Okay, so two in Africa, one in Europe, and one in Asia. The same message that we proclaim today is the same message that you proclaim in those countries. Because Jesus Christ saves and it doesn't matter. It's the same message. It's the same glorious gospel. It's the same glorious Savior. Finally, they shall not stand. This simply means a person who is forever a criminal and is treated as such by the courts of heaven. They, they are guilty before a court of law. This means that when you stand before God, there won't be any arguing back and forth with God. You will have no defense. You see, the joy and happiness in the courts of heaven will never belong to those who remain enslaved to sin. And this is even if you and I think that we're a believer. If, if we love our sin more than we love God, the Bible is clear in 1 John, we don't belong to Him. Finally, in verse 6, we find the knowledge of the holy in two areas. Number one, the way of the righteous. This is the path that is less trodden. It's hard to walk this road. Sometimes you'll walk alone. Or it'll seem like you walk alone. But you'll walk with Jesus Christ. There are times when whatever comes, and, and I don't know what hurts, I don't know what pains you struggle with in your life today, but God does. God knows whether you're struggling mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, it doesn't matter. But I am confident of the words from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that scripture is good for all that pertains to life and godliness. That means no matter what your problem is, God has a solution in his word. And the way of the righteous, this, this simply refers to a course of action that is taken in life. The knowledge of the holy gives us an understanding of the way of the ungodly. They shall perish, they shall be destroyed. My conclusion this morning again, why start with Psalm 1? Because unless you understand Psalm 1, you won't understand the joy of forgiveness that comes when we are reminded not just what Jesus Christ has forgiven us of, but we will then be willing to forgive others what they have done against us. May these verses this morning give you and I joy knowing God's promise. Knowing that blessed happiness is ours by knowing His law, by obeying the precepts He has put in place. Moreover, says David in Psalm 19, moreover, by them is your servant warned. They are more wonderful to me than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Do you love God's word that much? The laws of God are not grievous. They are there to protect us. They are not to bring misery, but they are there to bring abundant joy. And one of his commands, as we will see in Philemon, Lord willing, next week, is to forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 
forgive as we have been forgiven. There are many of you maybe growing up and you learn the Lord's Prayer. What is part of the Lord's Prayer? Forgive as we have been forgiven. I invite you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for your attention to the Word. and May you and I be encouraged in our lives to love Him, to serve Him, to love others as He loves us, to forgive others as He has forgiven us. Knowing that this may be the last week we, some of us may ever live, And the question is, are we prepared to face and to meet our God? I pray that that is the way it is with you this morning. Again, we want to encourage you if you came and you wanted to give an offering to the ministry of the Lord, you're welcome to do so in either of the boxes to my right or left. Our benediction this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, which we will use through the month of September. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.